0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine podcast for today, Monday, October 17th, 2022. I am Noah Rothman. John is out today, but with us as always, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hey, Noah. Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, Noah. And in John's stead, the illustrious Eli Lake, who wears many hats. Uh, he is the host of the Re-Education podcast. He is a contributing editor to Commentary Magazine. And he is a Bloomberg columnist, correct? No, 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 no. New York Sun columnist. No. New York Sun columnist. Uh, but I think I
1: think I should you should just refer to me as the uh, Billy Preston of the commentary. <laughs> I like
0: Renaissance
1: that. Renaissance man.
0: Uh, Thank you for joining us today, Eli. Um, <laughs> we uh, woke up this morning. I woke up this morning at around three o'clock in the morning, just rolled over and looked at my phone. And we got an alert from The New York Times. New York Times has a new poll out with Sienna. Um, gauging the state of the race uh, ahead of the midterms, which are coming up very soon. And they produced a poll that suggests uh, the Republican issue set is uh, res- reserting itself after a summer in which there was a bit of a swoon. And Democrats were enjoying a renaissance around some of their cultural issues, uh, guns, abortion, the state of American democracy. Uh, all of that seems to be fading away as we get closer and closer to uh, the vote. And um, all these illusions are fading away as the economy takes front and center. Republicans enjoy a four-point lead in the generic ballot in this poll. Um, it rounded up a little bit, but nevertheless, 49% of, Republic, 49% of voters say they're voting Republican this year to 45% de- uh, Democrat. That's a gigantic shift from the last poll um, that New York Times-Siena did. Uh, which suggested that Republicans and Democrats were pretty much even. Uh, In this survey, Republicans are winning 47% of women. That's split right down the middle, 47-47 for Republicans and Democrats among women. They're winning 34% of Hispanic voters. They're winning 17% of Black voters. Almost one in five African Americans say they're voting Republican this year. 51% of independents. And the biggest shift, according to the New York Times, came from women uh, who identify as independent voters in september september poll they favored democrats by 14 points and now it's gone all the way in the other direction republicans are the favored candidates among independent voting women to the tune of 18 points now if you really want to compare this to the rest of the the, uh, generic ballot polling and the state of play it's really all over the place we got a poll from fox news pretty good pollster By the way, New York Times-Siena is rated in 538 as an A-plus pollster. So this is a no-joke pollster. And this is the poll that I think Nate Cohen was talking about. We we talked about this a bit yesterday, or last week, rather, um, where he said, it's very difficult to get people to answer the phone and talk to you. Uh, I think this is probably the poll he was saying that the response rate is around 0.4%, which is down from uh, 2018, in that midterm cycle, it was about 1.8% of people would actually pick up the phone and talk to you. As difficult as that is to get a, a half decent poll, you can imagine how hard it is if it's just less than a uh, half a percent of people actually want to talk to you. Nevertheless, this is the result they produced. Fox News produced something pretty much diametrically opposed. Um, Democrats up by 3% in the generic ballot. But uh, Real Clear Politics has a pretty good visual tool for this um, if you look at their average of uh, the polls and you visualize it. Um, it's not necessarily if you compare Democrats and Republicans relatively, you get kind of a mixed picture. If you look at where Democrats are polling, 45, 46, 44 percent roughly, um, the number of uh, of responses saying they're going to vote Democratic is just down. You can visualize it. You can see people are saying less, fewer people are saying they're going to vote Democratic, um, and more people are saying they're going to vote Republican, and you get a pretty clear trend uh, as we get into the home stretch here. And it's all about the issue set. This New York Times-Siena poll is pretty clear about what the issues are, the economy and inflation, which they broke down, helpfully, um, and vast, you know, a distant second place is democracy at 8%. And then you get coming in for third at a tie, abortion and immigration, both of which are, you know, abortion is a Democratic issue, immigration is a Republican issue, so it's kind of a wash. And deep, 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 deep down at the very bottom of the poll is guns, which registered at 9% 9% of people said this was one of their biggest issues in the summer now 1% nobody cares about it um so it seems like a pretty clear picture to me if the election were held today it would be a significant rep- set of republican victories maybe even a sweep but the election isn't held today things can happen in 3 weeks right i, I well, give you
2: i wait i give you one visual from this weekend that that i think explains a lot of this Uh, Joe Biden licking an ice cream cone and saying the economy is strong as hell. Um, No. And why do they still let him lick ice cream
0: cones? Okay, but he
2: here's a guy who's actually I I mean, he's been called upon recently to go uh, the stump for some candidates. But the person they really want is his wife. They want Jill Biden uh, on the on the stump for them, not 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 Joe. And I think to explain particularly the independent um, leaning women's shift of opinion, Economy and crime; these are the two things that, again, I've been beating this dead horse. But especially with the economy, people—I mean, if anyone is lucky enough to have a retirement account and has opened a statement recently, they see they are losing money. Their future, tucked away savings that they're going to depend upon when they retire, that's gone down. Everything else, the price of everything else, has gone up. People are feeling this, and. The reason I I invoke Joe licking an ice cream cone is that he's not speak he's still not speaking to that. And he is the leader of the party that should be speaking to this. Instead, they passed a bill that we that now tons of economists are constantly pointing out to us caused inflation to rise. So they just they don't have a message that's gonna address these concerns.
0: You should say crime is actually I think they- pretty low in this poll as well, surprisingly low. Only three percent of people said it was the most important issue. And among them mostly Republicans and women. Christine's absolutely right. This is a, a concern shared primarily by women, but it, it, the issue of the economy and inflation is blotting out the sun.
3: I think uh, that they still let him lick ice cream cones because they hope he can't get words out while there's food in his mouth. <laughs> Unfortunately, he a he, good he, he, fi- he finds a way around that. Um, I think there's a this the, the poll speaks to this massive conceptual failure on the part of Democrats. Which is that it turns out you can't tell people what to care about. You can you can see their cares and sell them that you're the best person to answer them. Uh, you can try to tout your your accomplishments, such as they may or may not be. But um, when they are, when they care about prices and the economy, uh, crime, even though it was. Low, low in the low in the in the rankings, Um, you cannot tell them to care about green energy um, and and whatever else. It's not. It it doesn't work that way at all. Eli, that's where millions
1: of Americans are just succumbing to disinformation. And uh, the answer is we have to have a more rigorous sort of censorship of social media which, uh, you know, what our, what, our, what our true democracy-loving Democrats have been saying now for a few years. And this poll is evidence of it. In fact, I think this poll is disinformation because the people who believe what they believe are just, you know, these automatons that are, you know, being told all this false information. It's really a huge problem, Abe.
0: You're being facetious. So facetious, I Don't like you can't even imagine. You, I don't think you have... No, you have a very good point, though, because Abe is absolutely right. They think they can talk you out of... Uh, noticing that the economy is bad they think they can then tell you you. you're a
1: moron because you believe something that they don't right you believe that you you're you're oh you're such a gullible moron who believes all this disinformation there's
0: no inflation there's no recession so take your very cynical facetious approach here and apply it seriously because i think you're onto something to a post-midterm environment in which republicans sweep take the house take the senate by a seat maybe two what the narrative there is not going to be well We saw inflation coming a mile away and we tried to talk everybody out of it and we were that was done. They're not gonna they're not gonna accept any fault here, at least the activist class. They're gonna reach for exactly what you just said, that there was some sort of Svengali-like manipulation of the voters that they just fell for those idiots. Yeah, but like you know, you
1: saw after 2020 that there were a lot of Democrats who were saying we can't keep talking about defunding the police. We can't, you know what I mean? Like there was a sense where there was you were starting to see some of the internal conversations coming out and spilling out in the public. And I think you'll see more of that because even though you're the, the party, the incumbent party is not expected to, to win, to do well in the midterm. This really is like it's political malpractice. The way they've handled, especially the the economy messaging and telling people not to believe what's in front of their own eyes is is uh It is political malpractice to a certain extent.
0: Okay, well, 2020 was easier, though. And Christine, I want your your views on this, because if 2020 was defund the police, we could throw those guys over the boat. That was easy. They came out of nowhere two years earlier, uh, this very radical uh, conceptual idea of decarcerial approach to criminal justice reform. And they weren't really uh, integrated into the Democratic that, that view that that ideological approach to uh, criminal justice reform was new enough that they weren't so fully integrated into the democratic coalition you couldn't just cast them out at least their views you can't do that with abortion abortion is is about as central as it gets to the the modern democratic ethos and if they if if in on november 9th they wake up in the morning and say wow we focus too much on abortion how on earth do you correct for that within the democratic coalition you you don't. And I think
2: um just as we've been, I think, correctly critical of uh the pro-life faction in the in the GOP that really wasn't prepared post-overturning of Roe with the Dobbs decision for messaging and talking about what their future, what a future without abortion looked like state by state. Uh so too, the Democrats have been strangely tin-eared about this. And I go to one of the remarks that was made by um during uh who made the remark during the debate? Was it Warnock who who was talking about? Uh, you know, we don't in a doctor's office, we don't need to have, you know, yeah, male legislators and all this two stuff. People, in there. there are two people. people. And I,
0: I yeah. watched this debate on Friday yes, night, ladies yes. and gentlemen, because I'm just a, a man on fire. He's a sucker a for- yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he has his line. It was a practiced line is that right. in the in that room, you have a woman and a doctor and that's plenty.
2: Right. And, and so Christine, that was, that is the perfect example of their tenure. Where's the baby? That's Where is Walker the baby said, in that yeah. room? And and Mr. they honestly, Senator, I think there's a baby
0: in mind. that room too. It was a, it was yes. a really, I don't know if that was a practiced response because how could you anticipate that? But it was a but good it's one. The, Yes. Yes. So I think they so this idea of November,
2: where, you know, November's elections would be overtaken by by the uh, Dobbs decision hasn't come to fruition for them, but they didn't pivot quickly enough. And they never had a message. Eli's absolutely right. They've never had a good message on the economy. We were told inflation was transitory. We were we were told to blame Russia and then now Saudi Arabia for our gas prices. Nobody believes it. And they have. And to speak to the disinformation, Saudi Arabia, which is
1: now a Russian like.
2: <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. So unbelievable. they just notice. can this. go. We can yeah. we can search out information from other sources and and assess a lot of these claims ourselves for better and for worse. As you all know, I am not a huge fan of social media and its impact on democracy right now. But Eli's right that claiming that you're, you've you been fooled by bad information is not an electoral strategy that's a, that's long term going to help the Democrats,
1: especially no. when Democrats themselves constantly are fooled by bad information like Russiagate, like Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation, especially for the Democrats, who seem to be the biggest suckers in the world for disinformation. Like, oh, the Wuhan lab has got nothing to do with anything. It's everybody knows it. Listen to Fauci. It's like it's, it's maddening. And these are the people lecturing me about disinformation.
3: Um, I think there's a, a, another point here about uh, uh, Roe and Dobbs that that something that didn't happen. I, I fully expected once the decision came down to see a never ending parade of sort of horror stories about uh, American women who couldn't get access and needed it. And, and I saw none of it. I mean, there was the sort of, the, there was the one story that that, that yeah. became kind of controversial and that it was picked apart, and, but I didn't see any of that.
0: Yeah, very little um, with the exception of this, that one story, which I, I recall, which was a young girl, a preteen girl who was uh, early teenager, or something like that in Ohio. Republican officials jumped out in front of that and said, well, that, that's unlikely, and it actually was the case. But, yeah, you would expect to see more anecdotes, and you probably will. There will be more anecdotes. But very surprising that this hasn't really caught fire. I have a couple of um, observations about this Walker-Warnock debate because um, it was interesting. And, and I think Democrats should probably be very scared uh, of the performance that Herschel Walker turned, turned, in, uh, turned in because it was not bad. Um, he had a couple of bad moments. First of all, he had set expectations very low, sometimes intentionally. sometimes he actually tried to communicate his inexperience and inability to communicate uh, which is you know on par with a polished politician. So he went in with low expectations and a lot to prove. And I think he he really held his own first of all, I mean there was actually a comment by a guy who um, Gre- Greg Bluestein who writes for the Atlanta Journal Constitution who said, quote, I'm getting surprised texts from Democrats caught off guard that Walker is, quote, holding his own. As we've reported, he's been preparing for this debate for weeks and he eagerly sought to lower expectations. That's absolutely true. Um, And he, as as Christine said, he had that one very good line, that response um, to uh, Warnock. He was um, relentlessly on message, focusing entirely on the incumbent senator, which is exactly the job you want to do, refocused every single every single question he got he refocused it on warnock which can seem evasive but warnock was evasive too he was uh he kind of misled about his church uh Ebenezer Baptist church and the, the evictions that it's conducting uh for people on its property some of whom have missed payments to the tune of $29 and are being evicted and he wouldn't answer that question and warnock was like well it's it's in the paper senator um He looked evasive when he wouldn't talk about what restrictions on abortions he would support. He looked evasive when he he equivocated and wouldn't answer the question of whether he thinks Joe Biden should run for president in 2024, because Joe Biden is extremely unpopular in Georgia. And Herschel Walker had this one weird moment where he kind of criticized people for being on insulin, like, you got to eat better. Um, And I guarantee you, diabetics have heard that advice before and probably don't appreciate it from their political class and aren't asking for it, frankly. Um, But that was really his only bad moment. I know this badge, we produced this badge, and then he was admonished by the moderators for um, bringing a prop on stage. Uh, And you're not supposed to do that. Sure, fine, against the rules. But it's not like it's a fake badge. You can get a a badge that conveys your affiliation with law enforcement if you're not a police officer. Elected officials get this. Um, yeah, like Elvis got one right when he went one. But it, it had a kind damage.
2: of Dwight Schrute vibe right yeah. <laughs> it had a sort of, little more a little less Elvis a little more Dwight
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i i, I don't think it was all that sloppy i frankly i just don't think it was the disaster that the the press is making it out to be cuz they want they want it to be a disaster his performance yeah, in that was debate like, was good
3: the, the the badge moment i didn't see the debate but i saw the badge moment um it's kind of like um when when uh uh a lawyer at a, at a during a trial uh comes up with some allegation or some some piece of evidence that isn't actually submittable but but they hmm. say it out loud and right. then, the, then the judge says we, we asked the jury to disregard that uh <laughs> him, it's it's out there he pulled yeah. out the badge you may not have been allowed to but they saw it
0: they did they saw it and it's it's a real badge so I mean like you, I'd be proud of that too um but it was I, I warnock struck me as as a really kind of Slippery figure, a polished politician and an outsider year, And Walker, um, for all his faults, is an honest folksy guy. And he's like, do you want to see Donald Trump run for president again? He's like, yeah, because he's my friend. No further, no, no uh, calculations there. uh, No, no, nothing Machiavellian guy has a buddy and he's my buddy and I want to see him do good that's really human and kind of comprehensible and not something that you say, okay, this guy's trying to sell me a bill of goods, right? And he's, he's an honest broker, even though he's kind of crazy. So do Georgians want crazy? And will they take crazy? Here's what I was thinking. I think that the big thing Walker had to prove was that he wouldn't be a six year long embarrassment. He's not the, he's not a guy that you're going to have to defend at dinner every other night. Cause he says something just out of this world crazy, and I think he accomplished that.
2: I mean, I, nobody I, else it, saw the
0: debate, so nobody else is going to share my well. My impression, I'm, I'm but...
2: struck, but George is an interesting, uh, interesting case for this upcoming midterm because you've got uh, their voters are are. Much savvier than they're made out to be, I think, by certainly by sort of national media, because they're utterly rejecting Stacey Abrams and her mm-hmm. kind of conspiratorial thing, you know, claims about every everything. Um, uh, but they're but they're rightly skeptical of some of the character issues in their candidates, uh, particularly Walker. And I think that actually speaks well of Americans who, and I want to say one other thing about the Democrats right now, because the other thing that that Biden was elected to do and the Democrats have been hammering constantly is this theme of sort of integrity, election integrity. Let's talk about how we want to up, you know, uphold our institutions and the GOP and Trump just want to tear everything down. They're a threat to democracy. But this weekend, we also had Joe Biden talking about how the Supreme Court, one of our key institutions is just like an advocacy group now. Like, so his off, the the Democrats off the cuff remarks to the American people about the very institutions that they claim are under threat by Republicans are just not, uh, they're not good. And this combined with the fact that the Democratic Party um, through tons of money at the most far-right extreme candidates in the primaries. People know all of this. Voters know this. They are not stupid. They might not be super well-informed about the details of, you know, what every every single thing that was in the Inflation Reduction Act, but they feel the pain. They understand how, how cynical some of this uh, threats to democracy gambit is on the part of Democrats. They're not buying it. They're certainly not buying it when it comes to Stacey Abrams.
0: Yeah, I, th- I feel like if a warmed-over tuna sandwich would be polling at 50%, in this race like walker has deficiencies that everybody's familiar with but as you said Stacey abrams is the top of the ticket she's going down in flames kemp is going to win by a pretty healthy margin and he can take walker over the finish line just with some coattails if he has them and he might um speaking of donald trump i mean we can were, i
1: just say that sure, supporting sure. supporting the maga candidates in the primaries was a massive error Because
2: I agree. It
1: was going to out, and it just, it's like assuming the voters are are idiots and that they can't remember anything and that they're not paying attention. And it totally undermines the entire January 6th stuff and the threat to democracy, which I think a lot of like non-maga cult types, but just regular Republican conservatives who, you know, maybe lesser of two evil voted for Trump are very open to the idea that after Trump loses the election. He orchestrates this, you know, ridiculous and and kind of pathetic plot, but to try to steal it, and they're against it. And I think most Americans are really reviled that kind of thing. And there really could have been a moment where the Democrats could have really won over a serious majority by picking off those Republicans who had had and thrown up their hands after the 2020 election, but they screwed it up, yeah, because they wanted to run against the MAGA ultra MAGA types, and they and they keep you know, doing other things in other areas which undermine our democracy. And so why am I going to believe these blowhard hypocrites? And we're well, back to pox
2: on both their houses. Yeah, exactly. We're back so to like bodies, lesser of yeah. two
1: evil voting, which is not great. And they had that opportunity. And we all thought Biden was the one who could do it because he wasn't as much of an ideologue. And Biden turns out to be Even worse, it seems like, you know,
0: and and the current
1: Democratic Party, even worse. They're all gaslighters and terrible.
0: Well, to Christine's point, which I think is really astute, is that voters are actually discerning creatures. Yes. And there are a lot of mega candidates that aren't doing very well, and most of them are really true believers. Doug Mastriano. He's yeah, a like, true he should believer. not win.
1: He shouldn't be anyway. He shouldn't be elected dog. Catcher. He's I get terrible. it. Masterson. Right, yeah.
0: Masterson is another true believer and he's pulling very poorly. You know where the MAGA candidates who came out of nowhere with no electoral experience to win their primaries who, who were full throated MAGA in the primary who are doing pretty well now. Frauds. Carrie Lake <laughs> is a fraud. She doesn't believe the things she believes. Um, ah, Mehmet Oz is a fraud. Herschel Walker is a famous guy. Maybe he probably does believe what he believes, but he's just a television personality. Carrie Lake is a pers- television personality. Mamet Oz is a television personality. They're doing pretty well. The people who are really dyed in the wool nationalist populists who want to engineer an intellectual revolution in this country. Not so much. JD Republicans Vance. need to watch is JD the fraud or the real deal. It's hard to say, right? That's a good point. No, I think yeah. he's fraud. He's a fraudulent person. Oh, oh, with, I a don't. T- with a
2: tinge yeah. of converted zealotry, I would say. Yeah, I
1: think there's.
0: Yeah. Perhaps. Okay, you're right. That's fair. That's a, that's a more fair assumption that maybe he's had a conversion moment, although the narrative, the conversion narrative has been absent. And we, we would do with a little backstory on how he became the person he became today. Um, but yeah, I, I that's fair. That's a, that's an interesting perspective. But yeah, generally, that voters are, are looking at the people who are as MAGA as you get and saying, I don't really want that. And then sort of making calculations about other people. So maybe that's a... Maybe that's relevant. Speaking of Trump, which we were, and the FBI, which we were not, um, the Durham probe is in court. And Eli, you have some observations about where the the probe into the FBI's uh, conduct in the Trump years is going.
1: Yeah. Okay. so there's two things. One, there's two ways to look at this. One is what will happen to the person who's actually on trial, Igor Dinchenko, the famous Russian national who was the main subsource of the steel dossier. And there's a very good chance that the jury will acquit him of all or most of the charges. Already one of the charges has been thrown out by the judge and the typical Russiagate crowd, resisting crowd will say, oh, wow, Dorman really ended his career on such a low note. I mean, what a clown, what an embarrassment. And they were already seeing that. They've been pre-spinning this now for six months. The real story is the evidence that we are now learning in the prosecution of Igor Denchenko makes the FBI, if it was even possible, looking even worse. Um, and that's the part of this which I think has kind of gotten lost. And if you read like Andy McCarthy or if you read, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be probably writing about this maybe for my son column. I'm certainly there will be an upcoming piece for me in the magazine. Uh, more on that later. But the point is, is that if you you have to sort of seek out non-mainstream sources. If you just read the coverage of the New York Times, it would look like, you know, Danchenko, you know, that, 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 that Durham is sort of sputtering out. But here's what we've learned, and I just wanna, I think it's important for the listeners, just really quick. One, during the Mueller team's investigation, more than one FBI analyst wanted to find out as they were, by the way, they spent enormous amount of time trying to confirm this dossier, And they wanted to look into a Democratic operative named Charles Dolan Jr. This guy is a longtime lobbyist for Russia in Washington, just a straight up Russian lobbyist when it was okay to do that sort of thing, and is sort of alleged to have been a source for a lot of the most outrageous claims in the dossier, although he's only charged Denchenko with one sort of insignificant item. But the point is is that there was an effort from some FBI analysts to want to investigate this guy. And it was the Mueller team prosecutors, people like Andrew Weissman, we don't know exactly who, who then vetoed it, which is really extraordinary considering the fact that we also have earlier testimony that the FBI agents who were looking into like Mike Flynn and others were saying, we've already looked into this, stop issuing subpoenas, stop, you know, this is a dead end. And they insisted on keeping that side of it open. Now that to me is really, really damning. So that's the first thing that I saw. I was like, oh, my God, really? So there was an effort from some of these FBI people to sort of investigate the Democrats and what happened with this. The other thing is, and this came out a little bit before, Danchenko was made a confidential human source, paid money by the FBI um, beginning in January 2017. And then he is that that relationship ends in October of 2020. So from almost the entire Trump presidency, Danchenko is a confidential human source, which makes it really difficult for even an inspector general like Michael Horowitz of the Justice Department to get access to all that information because that really is, would then be sources and methods. So then we're trying to figure out, well, why did you make him a confidential human source? And in the questioning, he finally gets to the handler for Danchenko and basically through these through questioning, establishes that that, they never looked for derogatory information in Denchenko's file because there was a counterintelligence investigation into him in 2010 about whether he was a Russian agent. I had assumed that they they investigated him and it didn't check out. No, they dropped it because they thought he left the country when he really didn't. So this just makes the FBI look entirely incompetent. And it's in many ways similar to a moment for the FBI at the end of the 1990s when you know we, we find out in, in the beginning of 2001, that one of their senior counterintelligence guys, Robert Hansen, is one of the worst Russian spies in the history of American intelligence. And it's so bad that it forces Louis Free to basically resign, doesn't tell anybody. And it was a huge scandal. The FBI was in very, very bad odor at the time. And I'm sort of like, that should be the FBI right now. You had a guy who you never closed the investigation and you basically stopped investigating him for the wrong Because you thought he was gone he left the country when he didn't leave the country and then you make him a confidential human source because he's the source of this garbage dossier and then the other big thing that sort of came out last week finally is that they went to in in 2016 they went to Christopher Steele and they said we'll give you a million dollars if you can verify any of this information and guess what he couldn't do it and why is that important because if he was unwilling or unable to verify the information it meant the information was unverified they should have never submitted it to a secret surveillance court they should have never used it as a basis for their investigation yet we now know that even several months later the Mueller team itself was using the steel dossier they had a whole team of people trying to track everything down but they wouldn't look into the stuff in it that implicated democrats it's extraordinary and even though the fbi is not on trial although i think they clearly should be i just think it's if people just sort of think about this as the success of Durham is only measured in whether he gets a conviction of this Denchenko guy. They're really not seeing uh,
3: the forest for the trees. Well, but there's also <clears throat> I mean, just to pull back for a second, there's there's yeah. a there's another there's a political version um, of success here that people that some people were counting on. Um, I think there were some very sincere, passionate hopes on the part of some people on the right that the Durham probe would result in Higher, higher up, Democrats and uh, uh, Clinton people um, really being nabbed here, and and you know, um, seeing justice or something. That's not going to happen.
0: No, but I mean Eli's done a really
3: uh,
0: admirable job of explaining with a lot of passion why should, you should care about this sort of thing. But I don't see anybody else doing that job that you're doing did in, you in just the tell Republican. Tell me, you love my passion
1: because I came up with love your passion. <laughs>
0: Well, that was me. I said it was
1: admirable.
2: <laughs> New merch opportunity, though, just uh, putting fair. that out there.
1: <laughs> I'm just joking around. But no, but you're I listen. I there was always like if you raise the expectations that like every, you know, people are going to jail, which was always stupid. I mean yeah you're doing you're making the same mistake as like i don't know what marcy wheeler or one of these yeah I know, but that's
2: from the american the average american who barely follows this the perp walk is what you're looking for that's just that's kind of the baseline we watch a lot of tv
0: (laughs) it'll be the purview of a republican-led congress to dig into this do you get the sense that that's gonna happen we're gonna have durham hearings Uh, the political incentives for that seem to me to be rather perverse frankly
1: yeah i mean listen there's they're gonna want to look into hunter biden and all of that's probably not great because it reminds you of Adam Schiff. It's like basically what the Democrats were trying to do. Um, Durham, the reason that Dorham's important is also because he's credible, because despite the kind of pathetic smear campaign against him uh, saying, oh, he's just doing, you know, Trump's bidding or Barr's bit, you know, bidding. He's a credible guy. If you look into his background, he's the person who prosecuted the FBI officers who were corruptly involved with Whitey, Whitey Bulger. I mean, that's a really big deal. That was, he was the worst, you know, mafia, Irish mob boss in Boston in the 80s and 90s. Um, so in that respect, um, Durham does have a lot of credibility. If Dorham can present this information, it's far more effective than if John Ratcliffe, the last, you know, director of national intelligence for Trump or Rick Grinnell um, does it. If he, if he puts it out, then that's a serious person. And it looks like he's definitely doing that. If you look at how he is questioning these senior FBI people who were sensibly his witnesses in a trial about this guy, Denshenko, deceiving the FBI, when in fact the real trial is that the FBI wanted to be deceived, was totally incompetent and completely dishonest. And when you think about how much the Steele dossier for the first two years of the Trump presidency really dominated, like it was the it was the that was the roadmap for the coverage of Russia collusion. And so many people were taking it so seriously, and that's what kind of lit the spark of what became the Mueller uh, investigation. Um, it's 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 a it's a really awful, dirty political trick, you know that, that 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 Clinton pulled. And just because no one necessarily goes to jail doesn't mean it's a huge problem. No one really went to jail in the end for Iran. Contrary, we still don't. I mean. We can debate that. But I mean, the point is is that no one ended up really you can you can have a you can have a huge you can have a scandal without necessarily people going to jail and the report's what matters. And I'm looking for that Durham report, which I think really will be devastating.
0: uh, Yeah, I am, too. Um, Sounds like the FBI has some real employment headaches. And as you know, from running a business, employment headaches and employee headaches Ah. can be one of the biggest problems that you face when you're running a business. That's why you need Bambi. Get access to all your dedicated HR managers at Bambi starting at just $99 per month. They will help you navigate some of the most thorniest headaches that you have when you're dealing with your employees that you need, unfortunately, because they help your business run and help you make money. Bambi uh, operatives are available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run very smoothly, team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Uh, Bambi's dedicated HR managers are US-based. You're not talking to somebody in uh, in South Asia. They are dedicated to your business. They're giving you access to their HR expertise and the personal touch that you need. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Commentary Magazine under Podcast. When you sign up, it'll really help uh, your business and your Uh, strategy for making money in this difficult economic period spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com Bambi dot com and type in commentary magazine and when you're at home you know having done all your HR compliance issues and you get home you get to relax a little bit what's one of the better ways to relax one of my favorite ways to relax is gardening and that's why you need fast growing trees Um, experts at fast growing trees curate thousands of plants so you can find the perfect fit for your specific climate, locations, and needs. You don't have to drive around in nurseries and big gardening centers. Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped to your door in about one or two days. Um, I love fast-growing trees. I bought a whole bunch of fast-growing trees uh, earlier last year, middle last year, a bunch of arborvitas to, you know, to create a little screen um, that I needed and some um, Meyer lemon trees and it came with a little, uh, oh, and, and miracle berries, which if you don't know what a miracle berry is, go look them up. And it came with a free little strawberry. And that strawberry is pushing out strawberries like nobody's business. And I didn't even pay for that one. You can have your own strawberry bush. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary and you'll get 15% off your entire order now through October 31st. 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. That's fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary commentary uh yesterday everybody um we haven't been really talking about the unrest in iran and we should be uh which is one of the reasons why i wanted specifically to have eli on to catch us up to speed yesterday um a notorious prison in uh iran was set alight, um and this is where they keep political prisoners uh, this is the latest iteration of what is now a four-week-old revolt in the streets Uh, If you if you need to catch up on where we're at from 1979 to today, Ray Take has a fantastic piece in the November issue of Commentary magazine. It is up online now. It'll be in your mailbox if it isn't already soon. Um, And that just gets you where we are, which looks a lot like a revolution, a revolution uh, of the poor, of women. This is not purely economic. Um, It's not like uh, people are revolting over the price of eggs or petrol. They're demanding liberalism, dare I say, uh, in the streets and violently. And uh, the regime is on the back heel, it seems to me. Now, we've experienced this before, so I think one of the reasons why nobody wants to talk about this in these terms is because we've been burned before. We've seen protests like these arise and be smashed violently. And the smashing is ongoing. But the protests are not not ending, rather. They're continuing. They're growing. Eli, what are we seeing in the streets of just about every major city in Iran?
1: Yeah. Well, so first of all, read Ray Take's piece. Read everything Ray Take writes. He's great. Also, if you're if you're a podcast type, listen to the re-education episode called Iran's Next Revolution with Ali Resernator. We I'm I mean, I, I lucked out I, I did that one right as these things started. And I'm glad I called it Iran's Next Revolution because it looks like I it looks looking more and more like that. So but here's what I would say. The last time you saw this level of unrest uh, that we in the West were paying sustained attention to was 2009, but think about that one compared to this one because 2009, the, the, the grievance was a stolen election. What the people flooding the streets wanted was a president in a system where the ultimate authority is with what's called the Supreme Leader. So it was still it was a protest, it was demonstrations, there was unrest, and there was a violent suppression of that, but it was still keeping the Islamic Republic system together. This time, it's, I want a new system. It's this time, it is a revolutionary movement in the sense that they're not interested in a reform president. They're not interested in a new, um, you know, uh, they're not interested in a new Khatami, who was the reformist in the late 1990s in Iran. They're interested in eliminating the office of the supreme leader and holding their corrupt leaders accountable which is a wonderful thing there was a great piece uh in the new york times which i normally don't like their iran coverage but it was a very good piece about the role of the iranian revolutionary guard and how it has been insufficient to send what are these plainclothes militias called the basiji um to break up some of these protests all over the country and now they're sending in an elite commando unit of the revolutionary guard corps that's significant but it also i think that the thing that we can't see but must be happening because it's been going on for so long is in any time if it, for for the revolution to be successful you have to have commanders deputy commanders people who are in the revolutionary guard corps in the state intelligence services beginning to defect to the side of the people and my, my i suspect that that's something like that is happening because if it wasn't happening we would probably have seen this uprising uh squashed at this point point. and i think the other thing is this is that because women and young women in particular are leading this and grandmothers and mothers are leading it if you're going to put it down that means you're going to have to have uh, you're going to be asking Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps members to kill women and uh, grandmothers. And that's very that's a that's a hard ask, even the most embittered, like, you know, fanatic, you know, kind of, you know, f- fascist. It's it's sometimes it's very difficult to do something like that. The images of it are really, really hard to take. So I would just point out that that itself is really presents this dilemma for the regime. And then Khamenei the supreme leader, the dictator, he's in a ridiculous kind of position now where he's going to die on the hill of mandatorily mandatory hijab. He's going to force this is what he believes that this is the equivalent. He can't because, you know, one way you could maybe weather the storm and survive it is to announce, you know what, we're listening to you. We're going to get rid of the morality police. Maybe we went too far. That's a way sometimes dictatorships can extend their life's He's not done it. He's done the opposite. He said that the hijab is so important. He said the entire revolution is because of the Zionists and the Americans and, you know, the British. And um, that is like that's somebody who's, you know, 83 years old, really out of touch, maybe has he's had learned. Some, the it's, lessons it's
0: also of glasnost. I mean, yeah, how well, can you get yeah, rid well, of but
1: like the thing is that like the, the, you, the flexibility that you get in a situation like that, if he just if there if there Hold was an announcement on. saying that would that would really probably at least give you by a little time, you know, at this point.
3: Yeah, but that's I think we have to be clear about the the, the differences between a uh, a a plain old dictatorship and a theocracy here. Very good point. Much easier to be flexible when you when you're when you're trying to be pragmatic about holding on to power. Right. Um, And 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 when you're not a a unquestioning true believer in in the theocratic cause. Um, So something that. uh, uh, Eli mentioned about Iranian soldiers and siege forces and not wanting to fire on um, on innocent Iranians it, that that is the that is a, a, a big point that Ray makes in his in his in his um, piece for us and something I was wondering about there were rumblings on Twitter about a week ago and you, see, I, I, you never know what to trust when you see these these clips on Twitter Supposedly, of of some uh, Iranian military saying that they were not going to they were not going to crack down on uh, uh, on innocent protesters um, at, in the in the fashion that that the, that the mullahs wanted. I don't know if any of that's true. I don't know who who these figures were, um, but it was out there. Um, so indeed, it may be happening. Eli, as you say, uh, an- another problem with with being called upon to do that in the face of these revolutions is that the thing that sparked the revolution is 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 this brutalizing of of Iranian women yeah uh how do you how do you crack down by brutalizing on them without exacerbating the protests which which is exactly what has happened that has been the spiral
1: yeah well this is this is the thing i mean this gets back to uh, theorists like Gene Sharp, um, and what's sometimes called strategic nonviolent action. Um, they they have learned lessons of their failures in the past. The fact that it's, that these, these protests and these demonstrations and these uprisings are all over the country, makes it really difficult to sort of just amass a huge number of like riot police or soldiers to put it down. Um, it's there. They they are, and and I, listen, let's I mean, I don't want to credit him necessarily, but, you know, Barack Obama went on a podcast, the Pod Save America podcast with his former staffers of the White House and said, you know, we made a mistake in 2009 when we didn't fully get behind the protests. We thought at the time we might be, might discredit There might be the kiss of death, um, but then went on in the next breath to say, you know, we didn't have the Iran nuclear deal. We probably we probably have a nuclear weapon right now. There has to be a kind of moment for a lot of Democrats right now to sort of understand. You can't really be in full solidarity with the Iranian people if you still think that eventually you want to reach a deal with their tormentors
3: full stop. All, you can't. Yeah. Also, I mean, this it's yeah very much worth mentioning in connection to this. Um, they are now supplying <clears throat> Russia with these kamikaze drones, right? of course, Yeah. that are that are that are killing. Ukrainians in cities uh,
1: Axis of scumbags. Yes, the, the, the,
3: the, the first JCPOA gave gave, uh, you know, maybe a $100, 100 billion dollars to to Iran that they spent on weapons, war, uh, uh, Hezbollah, uh, war in Yemen on, and so on. Uh, what's going to happen this time around? There they are. They're already they're already supplying Putin with 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 much needed weapons.
0: Um, yeah, that. We're running out of time, so let's pivot to Russia based on that. Um, Yeah, Iran is supplying uh, Russian forces with a lot of the munitions that they're running out of. They're running very low on sophisticated uh, drones, as you said, kamikaze drones, and even um, cruise missiles. Uh, And a lot of these overnight, last night, I think, um, there have been a significant series of of volley of these uh, kamikaze drones into Kyiv. Um, and there's some rumblings, if you follow this very closely as I do, based on uh, some really sudden movements uh, from Belarus, that there's going to be an effort to reopen a front uh, in the north, that uh, Belarus will enter the conflict either directly or uh, passively as they did in the very beginning of the uh, of the invasion in February, and attempt to open up an, an, another effort to put pressure on Kyiv in order to force uh, Ukraine and its Western backers back to the negotiating table. Uh, Eli did some really great work on this last week. Um, he's- Inspired by
1: you, by the way, Noah, because oh, of you. your comments on the podcast about which I agreed with. I was like, you know what? Noah's absolutely right. We should have more serious conversations about old Cold War nuclear brinksmanship and what exactly would be following and what it means, because there's been a lot of irresponsible Cassandra stuff from
0: right. some quarters right and it's i still kind of believe that we're going to get to a nuclear standoff at some point point. and if they didn't yeah. put pressure on kiev it would it would signal that that's probably closer um right. than i than i'd like um so yeah and and i really actually i get a kick out of talking about nuclear deterrence and the theories that developed over the course of the cold war which are very uh, different and confrontational with with one another. You know, if you don't know anything about it, you'd think, well, you know, mutually assured destruction is basically the doctrine that we followed from 1945 on. It's just not true. But this is a, all intellectual history, thank God, because it's entirely academic. Um, but it's it's philosophy, it's cross cultural competence, it's um, leadership no psychology, theory, leadership psychology. It's it's a very yeah. it's a fascinating field of intellectual um, philosophy that I like exploring. And uh, Eli's done a fair amount of exploring is this fantastic piece in The Sun uh, talking about the uh, little known, unfortunately, outside of his field, Thomas Schilling and his uh, his work on uh, resolved ambiguity, as you describe it. And then you had a really great podcast on the reeducation with uh, Tim Morrison, who's written uh, knows more than certainly I do on this. Subject. And me, I mean,
1: like, he's he's really he's one of these people who actually is in the system who did nuke stuff and right. there's no substitute like you have there's because you can't you can be an outside expert and you can you can read all the theory but you really need to be you know you need to get all the clearances and they're they're the most sensitive kind in our government to but what to you really did and, and
0: what it, i yeah. what i you did and what i think needs to be done um more outside of audiences like ours who are who are very receptive to this sort of thing um is to talk about what it, what that crisis would look like we do need to be prepared for it and we do need to talk about how we respond the so-called escalation ladder uh and it doesn't necessarily devolve immediately into armageddon according to joe biden it's, you know you get step one nuclear event step two armageddon there's a whole lot of steps in between those two steps and for sure none of them are guaranteed there's you can put the brakes on this sort of thing um and Eli, you like you and tim and thomas schelling have all contributed <laughs> to, the, to this conversation um, why don't you uh, take us through maybe what you think yeah. the crisis would look like if it materialized? I yeah, but be, I
1: be, like. before I do, I just want to point out, can you imagine if we had a time machine and we could go back to like, I don't know, Catherine the Great or something and say in 2022, the Russian Czar will be stuck in a war with Ukraine and will be relying on Iranian weapons. In order to try to win it, which he still can't. Well, you say, mean you mean Iran? Iran, the country that we—that's like part of the Russian <laughs> Empire—that like you know we, that's, that's like a total basket case. The they must be like a great power in 2022. No, 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 they're still a basket case, and they're the ones for supplying the, your Russian army. Anyway, I just, um, I think that like, and I don't want to take credit for this. David Petraeus, the the, the retired four star general, um has begun to talk responsibly about it, saying there are plenty of things that we can do in response to the Russians using a tactical nuclear weapon, which are smaller and harder to detect and have a lower yield, but still terrible. Um, And those would, we could do it with conventional forces. So if it's possible that, and I should, I, I wanna stress this, that there's, when we talk about military doctrines, there's some military doctrines like so so there's one that I, it's largely understood that's rarely talked about that if um, it's if you watch the movie Doctor Strange Love you would know this but like if you if you did a decapitation strike on Moscow then it would be out of the hands of any Russian anyone and it would just automatically then trigger the launching of nuclear missiles of the United States so that's called the dead hand sometimes um, and I think my understanding is that's very real but then there's this so-called military doctrine, which I think was developed in the 2000s as a way to intimidate other people and, and Americans, which is that if Russia is losing a war on its own territory, it will use a tactical nuclear devi- weapon uh, you know, so they can change the dynamics of the conflict. Um, and in theory, and I think you've pointed this out, Noah, you know, by annexing the oblast of, the, of, of Donetsk and, uh, and Luhansk and, and so forth, I guess, is that now Russian territory by this magic trick? And then if that is Russian territory and now there's a counteroffensive in that territory, does that now then trigger this so-called doctrine which allows you to use a a tactical nuke? Now, what does that mean? So it could be that a tactical nuke would be, you would explode it in the atmosphere and it would have an electromagnetic pulse and that would like wipe out. I mean, that would be very bad, there'd be radiation, but it's not quite as bad as if you actually used it on you know, in a detonated like you know, in a in a small city, or for that matter, at a military base, or where there was a lot of Ukrainian soldiers who were gathered, which is presumably how you would use it. Or you could just do another underground test because we've had we banned nuclear tests for some time now, and that would maybe be a step before that. So there's all kinds of things that you could do, and what you mean by it. Um, but even if the Russians used a tactical nuclear weapon, does not mean by any stretch that we are then obliged to use some sort of nuclear strike in retaliation. We can use conventional forces to destroy the Russian Navy in the Black Sea, which would be great. We can enter the conflict in Ukraine even more and further decimate the Russian military. There's a series of steps that can be done with conventional weaponry. And David Petraeus has talked about this. uh, Others have talked about this. That would be short of using a nuclear weapon and getting into the sort of nuclear exchange nightmare scenario.
0: Well, obviously, what would be great is if these things don't go off and everything is peacefully interred in their silos, right? Um, so how do we achieve deterrence? And one of the things I liked very much about your conversation with Tim, um, is sort of this, uh, talk about rationality, because there's a lot of effort to, you know, we say mirroring, which yeah. is a concept that has gotten a lot of attention now, but it's, it's sort of, it's deployed, um, without a lot of apprehension about what it means. So a ration, it would be purely rational in my view. If It would be totally irrational to use a tactical nuclear weapon in a battlefield context and expect Ukraine to respond to it in any way other than more resolve to resist. Yeah. That would be irrational. I don't think that's a rational calculation that Moscow is making. It would be rational to fire off one of these weapons in the effort to cleave off some of the Western powers that are supporting them, get everybody really scared, and then the Western powers push Kiev to negotiate on terms favorable to Moscow. That's a perfectly envisionable scenario and it would be irrational. rational scenario yeah,
1: but i don't know if it, it's rational once you've done it i think the the way you get you cleave off the western powers is if you seriously threaten it and then the threat gets some of the western powers to then push or there's a there's a divide within nato to push you know right. Zelensky to the negotiating table because once you use it then you have a second order consideration which is we have to make sure that no one ever uses a nuclear device again. And therefore there needs to be significant, like, unbelievable penalties. I think at that well, that's point, our you...
0: calculation. That might not be Moscow's. Yeah. So, Abe, I want to Yeah,
1: But like, do you think the Chinese or the Indians? That's my thing is the Indians maybe. are now kind of on. the Would they accept that these are nuclear powers that have an interest in not seeing this become right. normalized? I, I would imagine if I was the Chinese, like that would be maybe that would that would be a problem even for Xi Jinping, even for a fellow tyrant like Xi Jinping. Who doesn't like america and everything else like that you, you really want him to be in a situation where it's now like normal to use tactical nuclear weapons in a war like this because that can blow back on his on china just as much as it can you know be to his advantage
0: true enough true enough but there are plenty of sentiments in the west that are uh for lack of a better word uh pro uh ukrainian capitulation um sure appeasement yes. um the re- this one just dropped into my line of sight, unfortunately, by Elon Musk, who uh, increasingly fancies himself a geopolitics expert. Um, it's an op-ed for Newsweek by David Sachs, is another VC guy, venture capital guy. Um, quote, this is the headline, the neocons and the woke left are joining hands and leading us into woke World War III. So um, absolute hysterics, uh, but the hysterics also are a Terrible headline, just a terrible, terrible headline. headline. Um, and it's probably a terrible I you know piece, but I haven't read it yet. I've just read the, the headline and the headline is absurd. but it stands it's very useful to cultivate these sentiments in the West from Moscow's perspective. Um, Abe, it's you know, we know perennially that neocons are simultaneously irrelevant and powerless and yet omnipotent uh, in the degree to which they manipulate events. But this is exactly the sentiment that's that Russia's counting on. This is precisely what they hope to exploit. In the event that they would appeal to unconventional ordinance use, correct? That's my view.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, in some sense, they're sort of taking a page from um, uh, the, the, our adversaries during the, the 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 war on terror years, right? Who, although without threatening nukes, um, we're banking on our losing our will. Um, uh, Generally, not being in the fight, not being in the not being in the fight for any any sort of uh, uh, length of time, and and sure to that extent, people who write stories like that are doing their work for them. But
0: Christine, maybe I've misread the landscape here. I mean, I didn't expect to see a more invigorated NATO, a more cohesive NATO, a more engaged and, and NATO um, when with regard to Russia after they invaded. I actually I thought. The Quislings would have their moment. Uh, I was wrong. Putin clearly expected the same thing. He was wrong. So, you know, the something as catastrophic as the breaking of the 76-year-old taboo on the use of nuclear weapons, maybe it has the precise opposite effect. Maybe the crisis itself, the standoff, has the precise opposite effect. Uh, I, You know, I'm still expecting that there would be some significant unrest and apprehension, uh, maybe even, you know, runs on stores people leaving cities. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there's a little bit, maybe we're more stoic than I give us credit for. Well, I think too,
2: I think there's been a a kind of clarifying effect with a lot of this and not just about the war, but about how Europe um, is, is, correcting as well uh certainly with regard to how it uh, gets its energy <laughs> it's looking at a very difficult winter this winter will be very rough uh, for Europeans and and economically both in the UK and the rest of Europe they're facing you know similarly challenging circumstances as as we are as well so there's a sense in some ways that i actually see this long term is an optimistic shift where a lot of the leaders of Europe who could otherwise not even be bothered by any of this stuff and pursue sort of, you know, excessive green policies, um, kind of politically weird coalition building. Now they're suddenly not back in the 20th century but they're back to dealing with a set of very stark realities that they haven't had to face in a while and they have actually retreated into a kind of liberalism which is which is heartening right they're they're looking at NATO they're looking at ways to kind of ensure stability peace and um lack of disruption that's a lot harder now than it was 100 years ago in part because of the interconnectedness of the economies and and particularly energy production so it's not as if there aren't challenges ahead but I actually I actually see that those shifts and how Swiftly they happen, particularly with regard to nuclear energy in Europe. Um, as heartening, those are those are good signs. If you're if you're kind of coming at it from the political position that most of us are,
0: I would just ask gently of the venture capitalists: I don't, you know, go out there and pick winners and losers in the economy. I have no idea what long-term growth potential is in the latest big thing. You don't know how to do geopolitics. Please. Stop advising us about geopolitics. You sound like hysterics.
1: They they are correct that, yeah, eventually the war has to end. But they (laughs) never recognize that, like, wait a second, Putin started the war. If he profits from the settlement of the war, if he gets to keep territory that he that was never his and shouldn't be his, then we're, we're then we're, you know, we're defining deviancy down. We are we are, you know, what is that we are creating a moral hazard in geopolitics, which is something they understand in economics, but they don't seem to understand. In geopolitics, no, it's a profound so failure.
0: It's a profound failure of imagination on their part. For, yeah. for people who who have made imagination into a career. Um, yeah. And by say- the way, Elon
1: Musk is is like, I don't want to beat him up too much. What he's been able to do, especially recently with Starlink,
0: is a profound um, sir and is a profound service a, to the war in ukraine and
1: absolutely it's a profound service to the war in ukraine and he's a real hero for that and now that he's apparently trying to do this for iran i mean this is somebody who is really you know changing history in a good way so i don't want to like go over the top and like beat him up because he had some you know poorly thought out tweets or something like that or you know there was a what it was there was some sort of map that he had of Ukraine, of the, the electoral map of Ukraine that was kind of like ridiculous or something like that. Who cares? He's and uh, you know, he has
0: he, no idea what he's talking about. We
1: should it's be very fine. It's I mean, fine that he doesn't know what he's talking about in that because but he's he a
2: polymath. I mean, they tend yeah, to kind exactly of off like, about stuff right. that. right? he <laughs> knows a lot about
1: like how to, you know, private spacecraft and satellite links and Tesla's. I mean, all that's for the good. So I,
3: I, I got to say, I mean, this and this would open up a whole other conversation that we don't have time right. for. But um, I'm starting to get the the sort of painful sense that he looms entirely too large in our politics and in our world. I got to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm. I agree with you. With the good things he's done, I support them. I was, I've been on his side generally in the in the pro or anti camp. Um, yeah.
2: Oh, but he's always but, been the intellectual equivalent and strategic equivalent of a mullet right he's like all business up front and party in the back right it's always been his thing that's yeah. his thing i mean you love it or hate it but no i mean less is probably more though
0: abe is right fair enough i guess it's my fault because he brought this to my attention and i brought it to your attention so blame he's me he's had some zingers against elizabeth warren yeah on twitter not all that, <laughs> not all that. eli like thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me Go listen to the Re-Education podcast. Go read him at the New York Sun. And then when you're done, go read us at Commentary Magazine, which you probably already do. Uh, John's back tomorrow. But for him and in his absence, and for Abe and Christine, I'm Noah Rothman. Keep the candle burning.